Hello and welcome to the PV Performance Podcast. This week's podcast is a conversation with Irish para-roar Katie O'Brien. Myself and Katie had a great conversation about all things para-rowing and the recent national championships, the upcoming world championships, and we talked about the Paralympics as well. She went into real depth regarding her pre-race routine and how she prepares mentally for the big races. And we talked a little bit about her strength and conditioning program as well. Before talking a little bit about spina bifida and her experiences in life up to this point. So really enjoyable one to record. I hope that you guys enjoy it too. And remember, if you do enjoy it, please like it, share it and send it. This podcast is sponsored by Coach Sam Portland, who is also known as Coach Sportland on Instagram and Facebook. Sam has devised a mentorship program for strength and conditioning coaches that gives them the tools to take control of and change their lives. I can testify to this given that I participated in the program earlier this year. Sam has coached international rugby players, Olympic athletes and elite level American footballers. Using all of his experience, the mentorship program puts you, the coach, first, giving you systems of application from speed and change of direction to the minute detail of speed coaching program development, injury rehab, and much, much more. It will help you distill your current knowledge and allow you to beat the battle of information overload the industry currently faces. What separates this mentorship program from the rest is the personal development aspect. 50% of the program is dedicated to you getting to know yourself further as a coach. I can safely say that this is the aspect that makes the most meaningful and significant change helping you to find the right balance between elite level coaching and living a happy and purposeful life. If you're interested and want to learn more, for PD Performance Podcast listeners only, Sam is offering five 60-minute coach audit calls valued at £150 for free. To register for this unique opportunity, send Sam an email with the subject line PD Performance Mentorship to sam at coachsportland.co.uk. Only five audit calls are up for grabs, so go and get after it. Now, on to the podcast. Sorry about that. No, no, don't be sorry about it. I was up anyway. Um, Katie, how's it going? Good to grab you for an hour. I would assume you are on coffee number three, as you said earlier, but you're after grabbing a glass of water there so that we can get stuck into this and you don't um, choke on any of the tough questions that I'll be asking, as you said. So how's it all going? What have you been up to so far or is your day only starting and what's the plan for the rest of the day? Um, all is well. Thanks for having me, uh, Pete. Today has already started. Yeah, I have uh, just a small weight session done this morning. Um, sometimes Thursday's a day off, but... I'm just trying to squeeze in a few extra sessions this week because uh, we had a down week after national champs, so there's a lot of work to be made up after taking a bit of bit of time off. So I caught up on a session this morning. Um, I've, yes, I am on coffee number three, and yeah, I have. Uh, <laughs> I tried to hold back on coffee number three till at least twelve o'clock, but we're here now. So <laughs> you're better getting it in early, aren't you? You're better getting it in early yeah. than oh, having it too late. I, like I cut it off at twelve o'clock. That's my cut off. <laughs> um do you have a gym in the house or did you drive to the gym no well i wouldn't call it a gym now but the sitting room outside my mom's room i've kind of just pushed her couches back and <laughs> put in a load of free weights um i have a bench i got in argos and 
a mat and you can do a lot really with that like you know so um, I may do with that and that's kind of the, the gym. <laughs> Basically you went mammy this is mine now this is my gym weights room we're not using this as a sitting room anymore. Yeah um, it, wasn't even, it wasn't even a case of this is it it's just you arrived down to it one day and I was in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um in terms of what you do actually be doing in the gym, then you alluded to there, it, it's in the, on the mat and uh, with the bench. So like I would imagine with it's PR2 Rowan is the classification, isn't it? So yeah. if you want to tell everybody the difference between that classification and the other classifications, and then we can maybe go into a little bit more in terms of what you do in terms of strength and conditioning, because there are specific constraints put on the athletes in PR2. Yeah, 100%. So um, kind of basic, which is handy. There's three classifications in para rowing, which is what I do. So there's um, the first, so PR, para rowing, one, two, and three. Um, one is they just use their arms. Then para rowing, so PR2, um, we use our arms and our body. Um, and then PR3 is just able body rowing, so arms, body, and legs. Um, so I'm the middle class where we don't use our legs. We don't, so we don't use the sliding seat. So I have a fixed seat in the boat. So like, obviously a lot of my training is geared towards upper body, trunk, back and different combinations of all that kind of basically. Um, I do the odd leg exercise just because, you know, to I suppose there's maybe some use of the glutes when you're swinging forward and back as well. And, um, and also just because, you know, otherwise I'd be skipping leg day every day. <laughs> so I throw yeah. in the odd one. Um, but yeah, no, it, it is mostly upper body. So um, yeah. So I'm interested then in terms of uh, training the trunk. Now, with a mat and free weights, as you said, you can do what you can. Do you keep it pretty basic in terms of your, is it trunk flexion and kind of extension? So back and forward that you do train when you're in the gym. And then I I would imagine that like, if you were actually in a gym, maybe a a glute ham raise is the name of the exercise that you like lock your legs into and you're going up and down like that. I would imagine that that's fairly useful, but I wouldn't say you have the luxury of having that in your home and your man probably wouldn't let you take up a lot of space in the sitting room. The drill going out like outside mom's room to setting up one of those. No, um, yeah, we don't have that, but it is a really, really good exercise. It's like it really mimics the body movement that we use. Um, and obviously then you can add in weights to that and do different um, kind of, like combinations of that with different things and it's it is a really good exercise but i don't obviously have the luxury of having that here so i kind of make do with with other things like a lot of it really is um arms and shoulders that i would be doing at home um my main exercises really would be your bench press your bench pull pull-ups are obviously a very good one as well because they really mimic the, the movement as well and getting that full like hang so like not you know not pulling up when you're halfway hanging mm. you know letting yourself really extend full ways so that you're using you know every every muscle i mean you'd know all the names of them now, but <laughs> every muscle there that, that, that's there um and um, so that's there's those and then obviously a lot of core work done as well on the mat because you know there's obviously with the body swing there's a lot of core involved they like those would be the core exercise and then you're and then after that then it's kind of just adding in like different ones here and there so like you know overhead presses and mm-hmm. um just basically just different combinations but like you said I suppose the 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 having the machines or not even the machines but the I suppose the different benches and different equipments it, that you would have in a gym I obviously don't get to use all the time but um I do use the they we've a gym at the rowing club in Galway so whenever I go in at the weekends I can kind of catch up on those few exercises as well yeah 
sounds like you can't just work on this is the thing when people think sports specific training they think you just do the things that you do in the sport but your strength and conditioning program has to be geared to develop those qualities or those kind of movements but also to give you what you don't get in your in your actual sport so like you said there like you're gonna have minimal use of the lower body in the sport but that doesn't mean you don't have to train it. and the same thing like you're not going to be pressing everything overhead but if you're doing so much pulling it might be good to do a bit of push as well something that i saw early in strength and conditioning i was working with obviously rugby players and they do loads of benching and loads of overhead presses. Sure, you know yourself, like your brother um, is a former rugby player. So it's all bench and it's all the show muscles out here, but they don't do enough rowing. Maybe it's changing now. So their shoulders are just banged up and locked up and stuck in like internal rotation because of that. So I was like programming a lot of pulling for them, which you would get in your sport. But then I started working with some sailors, not rowers now, but sailors. And they're all pulling all the time in their sports. So I had to do the opposite with them because they were so well developed in the pulling. I had to put in and supplement more pushing. So I'd imagine it's similar in the rowing. But a question that I would have for you around that is because you're doing so much, say, trunk movement and so much rowing, well, it is rowing, that's the sport. Have you ever got any problems in terms of like overuse injuries, especially initially, because you were quite late to the party in terms of rowing, like you only started when you were what, 16, 17? Yeah, so I started rowing when I was 16, 17, and then I rowed up until I was maybe 19 or 18, maybe. And then I went to college and that kind of all went out the window for a year or two, maybe three. Um, and then I got back into it then again when I was like 21, maybe. But yeah, I have had an injury and actually it was like, it's, it's your classic case of start. Basically, I started rowing back in September um, of, I think it was 2018, maybe. Yeah, 2018. And then that summer, so the next summer, maybe around May or June, I found out that I was uh, able to go, well, not able, but I'd kind of trialed and I'd been selected to go to the World Championships. So I was like, here we go, we're going to up the training and upped my load by about 120% and ended up absolutely banjaxing my shoulder. Um, and I couldn't actually use it. I was on the bike for this maybe five weeks prior to the World Championships because I just couldn't use my shoulders. So <laughs> yes, I've injured it. Um, and since then, I was like, I swore to myself I'd never not warm up again and never like, but you know, when you can't use something, you're like just wishing that you're able to, to do it again and like making all these promises to yourself that you'd never allow yourself to not warm up or to not do something how you're supposed to um but yeah no I did injure my shoulder and I think it was just the training load yeah like like that I suppose I kind of wasn't paying much attention to maybe enough to technique and stuff in the gym as well so um actually my brother's SNC coach took me uh, like to the gym and went through all the exercises I was doing and was like oh you're overextending here or you know you're like and, and all of that was so helpful and I suppose I had been doing a lot of training myself and although I had been to an SNC coach before um you kind of you get lax and you kind of forget stuff and it just shows you why it is important to keep in contact with someone even if it's every 12 weeks or that just to, to like because you, you do forget and you do you get lax and you kind of I suppose forget the proper way to do things and when, especially when like I was training all year by myself so a lot of it gone out the window and um, but yeah I did get injured <laughs> <laughs> it happens everybody gets injured injuries just happen but yeah what you said there like when you're younger especially you just think it's a case of reps on reps on reps and get as much volume as you can done in 
And uh, as you said, the Irish way is like world champs are coming up. So better do way more than I usually do in preparation because more is just better. It's money in the bank because that's what we're taught at a young age. And obviously you played loads of different sports when you were younger. So like that was obviously ingrained in you, I'm sure, from a very young age, the same as all of us. So it's a case of managing your body as you get older, as you said, there, like actually putting the effort in to warm up properly warm-ups effort though isn't it like especially in the yeah. gym I just try and keep it so concise so that I'll actually do it same as that I've like I've like five main warm-up exercises and it hits each particular part of the body and yeah. once those are done that's it done and I just move on but like I make myself do it every time you know yeah you can bleed in stuff but realistically like if you do the necessary prep in each joint as you said in each uh, muscle group or whatever it can be overcomplicated as well like just get it done get the, the heart rate up, get the blood flow going and then just get into the session, get it done and get out there because it's enjoyable once you're in there, but you don't want it to take up all of your time as well. Like, as like as you said, you have to be on the erg or in the water as well. That's your priority, like in the water. So how many of those sessions do you do a week then? And I'm interested as well in the erg because like, obviously in your classification of rowing, it's just trunk and upper body. So do you have to actually use an erg that allows you to just use trunk and upper body or how do you modify that um so for the erg we actually have like it's it's kind of like two little clamps um so there's a special seat we like put slide that seat back the one that's on the say the, the slider and i put my own seat on and then it clamps on so it doesn't actually move so it's it's quite it's grand like it's perfect um and then in terms of water sessions i try and get like I, i'm about half an hour from the club so i try and get maybe four water sessions done a week and like most of them will be done at the weekend and then one or two midweek water sessions on the like a morning session maybe and then obviously if it's if it's bad weather we'd um go on the erg as well instead of going on the water so like it would end up maybe three three erg sessions a week four water sessions a week and then three weight sessions a week as well um kind of i, I, I usually have a rest day there as well um, yeah, i'm sure it's needed like that's a lot of volume of training and like obviously you love your job but like it's high stress as well but I'm interested to go back to say when you were talking about getting ready for the world champs was that 2019 when you got the bronze medal that you prepped and you were on the bike five weeks out yeah that was the one yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah see it didn't actually hold you back really at all it looks like anyway um so like when did you actually start rowing what year was it was it like 2014 2013 20 2013 13 2013 so like 2013 six years later you're after winning a bronze medal on your birthday as well and um had you rode a henley as well like six years in such a short time frame so like how the how the hell does that happen like people must be wondering (laughs) i don't know I don't know I, I suppose well I suppose fortunately there isn't much power rowing in Ireland so I made up the power team fairly quickly so um like you know that that was handy enough but um I, I don't know maybe I just I did horse riding prior and I was in a I was in a chair as well for a few years so maybe I had strong arms from that and we were fed very well as children <laughs> that might have had something to do with my fullness like yeah uh, so yeah no I was lucky that when I got into row and I just kind of took to it and yeah I was at Henley then maybe it was maybe 18 months after I started um 
and like that was a good few there was a few entries which is nice because there isn't many entries in it the last few years so I haven't been able to go but that year there was a good few entries and no it was great it was great to be able to go and get a race and Henley's cool as well because it's a side-by-side race and it's only two boats going down so that was a cool experience like to like I don't know if you ever seen it there's like wooden kind of um I don't know what you call them markers either side so it's, it's just you and one other person and like you're either going to hit them or you're going to hit the wooden marker down the middle so it's a it's a very different type of race but you know that was cool to go and experience like and I was young at the time as well so I think I was only maybe 16 or 17 at the time so um, it, was, it was a cool experience at age I could I sure had no idea really what I was at you know yeah. you don't have to hit anyone uh, Kate <laughs> like the goal is the goal is to not hit anything but the you can go straight as well. yeah we're seeing we're seeing the competitive side to you so it's no wonder that you were having such success so early on you've always been very competitive then obviously yeah I think unknowns to myself I probably have been yeah you know I kind of have one of these uh personalities where I'm always kind of like trying to get somewhere else or to keep going I only really realized that in the last kind of year or two that I feel like I'm always chasing something but um, I suppose it's a good way to be in some ways but you know yeah it's a good way in some ways but you're always searching for the next thing or looking for the next thing so sometimes you need somebody to be there to just kind of say like here relax and enjoy what you've just achieved yeah. so, so I'd imagine your family are quite good for that like telling you to relax and just enjoy what you've achieved even though they're ultra competitive in their own rights as well like oh yeah no they're great my my family are unreal in fairness um they're sound bunch um and yeah i know they'd be very they'd be they'd be very good like like that like you know um just but not not they wouldn't even be like oh just you know they'd be just real supportive of whatever i even if you know whatever whatever i decide they'd be supportive of it whether it's going for you know uh the rowing like I am or whether if even if I was like lads I'm quitting rowing now tomorrow and I'm quitting my job and I might just sit at home here now for the next six months they're like yeah that, that's brilliant idea you need the rest or then I was, I was like if, I, if I'm moving to Kazakhstan they're like yeah that's great Katie off you go like you know just, I could stay in and they'd be supportive of it so uh, I'm lucky in that way really like I couldn't it's hard to be hard to do something wrong really I feel yeah yeah I get you um but that's important like for them to be supportive and uh, unconditional, I suppose. Um, but they still have your best interests at heart. And we've seen the images as well of them at the 2019 uh, World Champs up in the stand, like his gas, um, cheering you on. But your most recent competition then was the National Champs, which you managed to win your event in. So that was always good. Uh, but it's that, has that been your first competition in like over 12 months? Yeah, over two years, basically. So I was absolutely delighted to do it. I hadn't raced, like obviously I'd done timed pieces and stuff, but I hadn't gone down a course, a 2000 meter course from A to B and done the whole race kind of prep and the whole mental side of it in over two years because of COVID and that and everything getting cancelled. So it was it was lovely to actually go through all of that and experience the nerves and actually get a time done and like like look be like yeah that's it and because like in, in in Galway you see it's different because we don't have a course or anything so um we also have a flow in the river because of obviously the car up and, and that so like a, a timed piece in Galway doesn't really mean much at all because sure you're, you're either going against the flow so you're way slower or you're with the flow so you're flying it and you're setting record times like um so it was lovely to get a time done and you know it was great so it, and it was my first race I suppose in in two years yeah so it's good it's good how did it feel at the start line did it feel weird or did it feel like oh I've missed this so much like were you nearly like just extremely excited before the what goes a whistle or a gun or 
it's a beep. It's a beep. beep. <laughs> they're gonna yeah, be more. They're gonna be more crack, yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. I'll I'll send them a message and let them know. Um, I was absolutely shitting it. I'm you. I'm at the start of every race. You're just you're so full of nerves, like it's yeah. But I am anyway. I think most people are, um, especially like the hour or two before you're you're sick to your stomach, like sick to your stomach, um, and just you're just waiting for that beat. And then once you're, once the race starts, then you're heading the game, and you, you kind of forget about all the nerves and that. Um, but before you start the race, you're genuinely are questioning why you wrote and why you're like, you're like, I hate this. Like, why am I doing this to myself? And then the minute it's over, you're like, oh, that was unreal. Let me do it again. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Totally like a mind kind of a game, really. I've heard you talking before about how you kind of like to use kind of chunking to like chunk the race into parts and then like disassociation. So like think about something different that like while you're rowing or... Sometimes you actually focus on the process of your actual stroke and focus on your technique to get you through it rather than actually thinking I have to get from A to B and I have to go this 2000 meters or whatever it is, because that's a very, very long time. And as you said there, it's quite taxing on the body. So if you take it as a whole, you probably give up too quickly if you didn't kind of try and trick yourself into completing it in chunks, as you said. So there's obviously a huge psychological component to it and you've obviously developed that over time I'm sure massively and also you take influence from other people like another rower so like when we all you sit down for dinner we don't like and we'd be kind of hashing things out and like somebody would say some one thing and I'd be like geez that's a great idea I might try that now the next day and I'd try it and like oh it would work for me and Joe would kind of reduce the nerves a little bit but like that I do and I, I break everything down and one great piece of advice I got was like you know only focus on the next thing so like even before like say the morning of a race I'll be like right I'm going to think now about we usually do a pre-race paddle so all I'll be thinking about is pre-race paddle and then after that I'll be thinking about um my warm-up and I won't be thinking like so my warm-up before the race I'll be thinking right what am I going to do now my warm-up and in the middle of the warm-up I'm like right once I finish the warm-up I'm not even thinking about starting the, the, the race I'm thinking about right I'm going to set up my goal straight now and I'm going to make sure I'm you know and I'm not thinking about right at 2000 we just goes don't take me this much time I'm going to be absolutely dying I'm not thinking about that I'm thinking about only what's next and then with the race yeah I split it up into like four parts and deal with each quarter as as it comes and like again only dealing with the next part um as it comes and, and not thinking as it as a whole um definitely that that works for me massively because if you're start, sitting at the start line and all you're thinking about is holy god I've 10 minutes of rowing to do here and I'm break my balls for the whole 10 minutes like you it's 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 very it's so nerve-wracking as it is never mind thinking about that like um so yeah I do break it down like that um, it seems to work for me but I would imagine like you, you alluded to it there like uh you would have your tactics done out prior to actually even stepping foot into the the national racing center or rowing center like um for each of the four sections that you're talking about but then I'd imagine it's quite hard to not think about your tactics when you're warming up or whatever but do you kind of try and force yourself to do that by focusing wholly on the task at hand is that what you're saying yeah so like during the warm-up like you'd and have you'd have your warm-up kind of set out exactly like you know almost stroke for stroke like and I think I think that's done specifically for the purpose of that you are distracted and you aren't thinking about the race like so you know we like we have a lot of we the warm up be totally broken down into maybe like even 10 different exercises you could be doing on the way up um and so you get there then and you're warmed up and 
you haven't even thought about it because you've been thinking about each piece of the, the warm up and doing that perfectly because you know obviously you're you're trying to do everything right prior to to it so that yeah, I suppose you go down in the, with the best technique that you can and the best warmed up the best that you are um, and also the warm-up is kind of the same warm-up that you do say it for a normal session so it all feels really like you know normal and mundane and you know what you're used to it's not like on the day of a race you throw this brand new warm-up in it's it's what you've yeah. done every single day on the same you know same bit of river or whatever and you've, you're doing it over and over and it's all really really recognizable and your body's really really used to it so it's all kind of gets you relaxed and I suppose I think that's all done for a purpose like you know that you're yeah. kind of your mind and body are used to the whole thing and keeping your mind and body relaxed and like ready to race I suppose a hundred percent it's kind of like you do the process to get yourself in the right mental state to perform and because it's the same thing like you might be focused in on it but you're nearly not even thinking about it as such I suppose I wouldn't be good at that side of it though that you said like not thinking about tactics like I always remember when I play matches like if I play on a Saturday or a Sunday like after the match I'm already thinking about what I'm going to do next Saturday or next Sunday and the whole week well I used to I've got better at it now um but I would have been thinking about right next week I better not do that and I better do this or whatever but then to kind of draw similarities between you saying your process like obviously when I was playing rugby well uh, hopefully I'll go back playing rugby this year um I would have been the goal kicker so like your run-up um and your prep for your kick um is similar I would say to that warm-up that you're saying because obviously I have it so ingrained like the motor pattern that I just know that when I and I focus in on doing it correctly that I don't actually think about the kick at hand really until yeah. I'm about to kick it I don't like I, I if that makes sense like do you know what I mean like um yeah, yeah. and then there'd be some breath work or breathing that I would do prior to kicking it as well that would put my mind completely at ease and relax me before I kick it because like you're you're saying in the warm-up there you want to do the warm-up to prep your mind and your body because you want to be kind of in a relaxed state as much of a relaxed state as you can because if you're tense then you're going to waste energy essentially Completely. is that similar to, to like oh, or am I just going off on a tangent oh no it's totally similar and also what's totally similar as well is like the minute I cross the finish line I'm like is now that third 500 I could have been better than that I, I kind of let the ball drop there I lost my focus a bit I was like that's shite now I'll have to improve that so I like it you know I, I obviously totally analyze exactly every stroke that I did and I was like that was you know so there's massive similarities there I think there's massive similar similarities throughout the board in all sports like I think we all overanalyze ourselves and and that's I suppose that's what makes a good sports person someone who's thinking about how they can be better and stuff so I suppose it's a good thing too like <laughs> Did he hash it out over the dinner table then? Well, when we so like when we were away, say on camp and stuff, because uh, we all rowers, so like yeah, it's not all rowing chap like, but like the odd time, Joe, even if like, even if I was like, geez, that was a terrible spin today, like I'd be like, lads, that anyone else find that awful spin? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, no, it was because, and maybe it was just that there was wind or that you know, and like you might be thinking it was just you, but then you find out everyone else found it terrible as well. So um. It, it was kind of just like it's it's nice to be able to like talk that over like at, at, at uh, on camp and stuff but um no it wouldn't be a family chat <laughs> that's what i was about to say when you go back to the bridge you wouldn't be talking about the intricacies of a, of rowing but like maybe somewhat the mental side of sport um because like obviously sean has gotten through an awful lot in his career and we're not going to just 
touch on Sean when he's not here to defend himself. But like, I would imagine like having an older brother that's gone through that much mentally, like would be beneficial and he'd be able to impart an awful lot of wisdom on you, even though he's not that much older, I suppose. Like, it sounds like he's an old fogey, by the way. I'm going on. I know he's he's wise beyond his years, really, in fairness to him. And oh, there's plenty of phone calls between the two of us. And oftentimes the phone call might even be about really what we actually want to talk about, but we won't know what the, the meaning behind the phone call is. Um, but it's, we actually just talk about Ramesh. Like, um, so, but no, he's, he's a massive support. And also, like, he's been through it all. And like, you know, he knows if, if I'm going through a bad time, he, he won't give me any oh, with sport or he was going through a bad time with sport. We give each other a call. Uh, wouldn't talk about sport at all but it's it's you know it's mm. totally an understanding of why and it's kind of it, you know you know and like you don't want to talk about it you know everyone knows that the last thing you actually want to do is really is overanalyze it with, and talk about it more because you've done it plenty to yourself so it's just to know that there's someone you know there for, to talk to if you do want to talk to them and uh, he would always be there yeah no and he's and in fairness he's a bit of a coach as well like that but in all aspects of life, not just sport. Um, so he's no, he's he's great in terms of. I won't, I won't, I won't, uh, I won't put him down when he's not here. <laughs> yeah, life coach Sean O'Brien. That's his, yeah. that's gonna be the the next thing that he's gonna be coming out with. So, like, obviously, we just talked about the nationals and the world champs as well. The world champs was meant to be this year, wasn't it? And then they deferred it till next year. So, yeah. So I'd imagine like we haven't even talked about the Paralympics yet, but. Has the world champs been your huge focus over the last training cycle? Because like, obviously you couldn't compete in the Paralympics because, well, not obvious to everybody listening, but essentially your event is only at the Worlds. It's not in the Paralympics. You need a partner if you are to compete in the Paralympics. So has the world champs been your focus for the last cycle? Or were you like hell-bent on getting a partner for the um, Paralympics, even though that's essentially out of your hands, like? Yeah, no, so the World Championships was always my focus and was why I kind of got back into rowing because I was now able to go and, um, you know, like actually compete at a, at a high standard and by myself and I didn't need to rely on finding someone to row in a mixed double with. So um, after 2019 World Champions, Championships, my um, goal was 2020 World Championships. Obviously th- those got cancelled with COVID. So after that, I was like, right, that's fine. 2021 that was my that's my goal another year that'll be grand I'll, I'll train away and, and that'll be my goal and then about a month ago we were told that was cancelled as well so yeah no it was, it was really disappointing and obviously it's like I said it'd been two years since I'd raced and I was really gearing myself up and had amped up the training was you know getting ready to go out and hopefully put out a good race so it was really really disappointing to have that cancelled and um, obviously because as well the Paralympics were going on and you know it's like like you, like you said you, you kind of alluded to it there like it was it was a little bit tough to watch I suppose because obviously I know that I'd love to be there and only for like it's totally out of my control that I like I needed a partner to be at it to, to, to go and compete in because some I, I row a single um, and it's only a double that is in the PR2 classification that's at the Paralympics so yeah it was it was um it was a little bit tough to watch, but at the same time unreal to watch and like made me want to train obviously more and get there and do well now in Paris 2024. Yeah. Yeah. So have they had like you know the way they apply for new sports to go into the, both the Olympics and the Paralympics? Have they applied for single skulls to go into the Paralympics at all? Or is that the uh, hope that it will be in, in 2024? So I think they've already set out 
the schedule of 2024. So I don't think, I think it's too late to have a change, I suppose, for 2024. But I would hope that by 2028, there'll be some change because um, I'm sure I'm not the only, you know, country that has a PR2 rower who can't find uh, an appropriate, like, partner for the double. Um, so I'd, I'd hope that they try and change it. Um, but it looks like for Paris anyway, it's going to have to be a mixed double. So, um, but the good, the good thing is, I suppose, I still have the World Championships by myself and in the single um, and hopefully the double as well. But um, we'll see yeah. now how, how that goes. Yeah. I don't think non, say, Olympic sport or Paralympic sport athletes um, understand how much of a hindrance it is the deferral of the events or the competitions like obviously it's necessary because of COVID, but they think, oh, sure, it's grand, just do it next year. But they don't realize that your whole cycle is geared towards peaking at a specific time. And then like it just offsets the whole training cycle because then you're geared to peak and you're peaking a, a year before the event, which is definitely not what you want to do. Um, so you'd have to ease off a little bit. Like, as you said, you were ramping up your training coming up to when the Worlds would have been, and then it gets deferred for another year. So did you have to reduce your training load again and then just relax? Because partly it's, say, physiological and the body that you need to try and peak, but mentally as well, you probably needed a little bit of a break from all the training because of the, um, the increase in load that you were trying to get through or the increase in volume you were trying to get through. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I did, I like, I took a little bit of downtime there after national champs because once, once I knew that, um, you know, the world wasn't going ahead, I was kind of like, right, I'll do national champs and kind of keep training. Cause I'd kind of like, I, I, I thought I would have taken a week or two off, um, kind of earlier in the summer, but I ended up kind of just training through it anyway. And then, cause I knew that I knew that the worlds were, were canceled and stuff. So trained through anyway, and then kind of got myself fit for, for the, for the um, national champs and after that then I took a bit of downtime like that purely for mental reasons not for like physically I would have been you know sound but it's really just to you know relax and um, not be thinking about training for a week or week or so and um, no it was definitely good although I'm regretting it now hugely <laughs> so hard to get back into it when you're taking a week off like and even a few days you'd notice it like it's 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 crazy but I'll get there again by the end of week should be right I think I think that's the mindset that you have and that's the trouble with the mindset that you have because you're always like oh I could have got some decent work done in that week and you, you experience a little bit of guilt that you didn't but then the other side of that is in hindsight if you reflect and you think about how emotionally kind of spent you were or like mentally drained at the end of it if you had a push through it the quality of what you did probably wouldn't have been as good so you kind of have to have the mentality that right I'm fresh now and although it's hard to get back into this the quality of what I am getting through is probably better than the quality would have been if I had have just done a week of extra work just for the sake of it essentially definitely and like you know you feel much more um I don't know if enthusiastic is the word but you know you're you have a new kind of newfound energy towards training like you know you're kind of you know that like I suppose we all go through the ups and downs of enjoying it and not 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 enjoying it but where you're finding hard to find the motivation for training so I suppose that motivation is definitely back and like I'm like geared up and ready to train hard and put in the work and have my sights set now like you know and summer already and I know it's it's mad like I always talk about some things so far in the future like Paris 2024 and like say world championship September of next year which is like 12 months away 
and people think I'm nuts but I suppose that's just how it is like you know that's what we're gearing towards and like I am looking forward to those dates already even though they're a year and three years down the line like but that's what I'm thinking about when I'm training now and um, I suppose it, kind of, it gives you that motivation and I am probably more motivated now than ever really so um, hopefully now I'll have a few good races in this year as well. You have to have the long-term goals though, don't you? Like, and then you have to have the short-term goals to reach the long-term goals. And that's what people don't realize as well, though, that high-performance athletes um, like yourself, there are days when you just want to stay in and watch Netflix. like Massively. <laughs> so many of them. <laughs> yeah, they think like you're just geared towards like completely driven, but they don't realize that you're actually just a person as well that struggles with motivation the same as anybody else. So you have to take downtime and you have to have a life outside of um, the sport. But as you said there, like that life outside of the sport might be necessary to kind of relax you and have you motivated to go back at it, especially when like I'm sure it's extremely hard to have that goal of Paris 2024 in your head when you don't know if you're going to have a partner or not. And like there was a stage like you were looking for a partner like, actively through the papers through online and was there ever like any sight of getting someone I thought I thought you had someone for a little while and then that might have fallen through like how difficult has that been for you so we do have someone at the moment and he's training away which is great um so it's kind of like I'm like very excited about it but like you know we've had people in the past that come and go as well but um in fairness now his name's Stephen and it looks like he's sticking around so please god he does um but obviously he's only just started rowing like you know and it's it's not it's not like you can just get into a boat and be flying it straight away so um in fairness to him though he is training hard and everything so please god now that'll that'll work out for the future but you know it's, it's definitely been tough and like i've been around now for the last few cycles so i was around for rio and i was around for um london or no i, I kind of came in just after london but I was around for Rio and I was around for um, this Tokyo cycle. And like both times, you know, I would have been of a standard where I would have probably been able to go and compete, uh, you know, at it. And only for the fact that I didn't have a partner, um, I couldn't. Um, so that's kind of tough, like in that it's totally out of my control and, you know, it's hard. So it has been tough through the years. And But I suppose when I got back into it then, um, for the reason of, that I could go to the World Championships by myself. And like that, that was the main reason I wanted to go and see what I could do um, in the single. So, um, yeah, no, hopefully now I will have a partner for, for the next, I suppose, Paris um, and the World Championships in between. But I, I love my single as well. So I definitely want to get a few races in in the single now in the next, in the next few years and see what I can do there as well. So. Um, yeah no hopefully hopefully now like you said I'll have a partner and all will go well but I do have motivation anyway is what I'm getting mm. at to keep going even if I don't have a partner basically yeah no one can stick you obviously <laughs> they're coming they're coming yeah <laughs> <laughs> I would be sagging um, but like it's good that I'm sure it's great for them to have you there and your like crazy levels of motivation to get to Paris 2024 and that kind of drives them on more as well so like I think it's scary as well though I probably be a bit overbearing sometimes. <laughs> but uh, like I suppose you kind of have to be like you know you have to set out the goal from the start because um, like like I said like I I have my eyesight set high like for comparison I don't want to go and be a number I want to go and do well like you know so um and I know that's probably scary to hear for someone who's never really been into the sport and just getting into it but mm. they kind of I suppose better to lay that out from the off rather than yeah get midway through like you know. Yeah, 
it's tough. It's probably shocking to them because you've built up this kind of mindset over so many years. So that's why you're at this level now, whereas they're just when they're getting into a boat a week beforehand, you're like, because you've been let down before, I suppose, with people stepping away and they've had to step away for their own reasons, obviously. But you're just making sure it's like, we're going to Paris. We're going to Paris 2024 here, right? Okay, if we're not going to Paris, you may as well get out of the boat because you don't want to be let down again, like, you know, and you want them to wholly commit to it because, like, the, from what you've been saying, like, the mindset is always 100% or not at all, like, and that's the way you've got to be. And I know we've had a few, a bit of a joke about that as well because I'd be like that too. But, like, why would you half ass something, like, you know, do it to the best of your ability and then, like, if you don't achieve it, you don't achieve it, but you tried your best. There's no point in leaving some scope in your mind that, oh, I probably could have done better there. Like, Yeah, and I hate, I hate that. I hate thinking back and be like, geez, if I'd done this now that, you know, whereas like I, if, I, if I've turned over every stone, I'm totally happy to let it lie. Even if I come dead last and I know I set my sights high on something, I don't mind. Like I'd be totally happy with that, but it'd be the, it'd be, if I could, if I was thinking back and thinking, what now if I had just done that or if I just done this, that would be very hard to live with, you know, whereas I'd be the kind of person I just give it everything and if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, it doesn't, and that's that's it, you know. Yeah, but that's gonna do it, do it right. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's the way to do it. Like, you know, um, you don't want to have regrets at the end of it all, you know, like and especially in rowing, like, because it's one of those endurance kind of sports where even if you are getting sick after the race well maybe not if you're getting sick but if you're close to getting sick you'll still be thinking in your head like oh, i could have given more there i could have but like you couldn't you because your brain and the fatigue level was so high that like your body's protecting itself from you essentially from your mind that wants to keep pushing so like you're always going to think you could give more. So that's got to be something that's difficult to kind of deal with post-race, I'm sure. Definitely, yeah. Um, I, I do think that a lot after a race, like I could, I could have given more there now or I could have given more here. But like like that, you, you have to think like that or you're not going to improve. If, if you're happy with your race and you're like, yeah, it was perfect race, now that's it. That's brilliant. So job done. Sure, you're never going to improve. Like, you know, I suppose it's... Like, I, I even though I'd be happy with the race, I'd be like, I'd be like no, that was a good race now, but... Mm. here's where I can improve and like if, if there was if I felt there was nowhere I could improve there'd be no point in keeping going like you know there's always and that they always say there's always place to improve at rowing like you're never perfect there's always scope for improvement technically or you know physically or like mentally as well like there's scope everywhere so you can always be getting faster which is and it's so it's nice to be able to you know draw a line onto something like yeah happy with that race but here's where we're going to make up time in the next one you know that's the necessary mindset like and it's kind of a commonality that I see amongst the people that I've interviewed for the podcast like be them high performers in whether it's coaching whether it's in sport whether it's in any other pursuit like in in their life like their job whatever they're always going to be seeking more and seeking to do better and point out the flaws in what they did like Usain Bolt ran a 9.58 and 100 meters and he slowed up before the end like like that's as close to a perfect race that in, in sprinting that has been run, but he still could have done better. Like, you know, so there, there's no perfect anything. And it's people that like kind of say like, I'm great. I'm the finished article now. Like they're the people that kind of then 
get caught up to and get beaten because like you can't rest on your laurels and anything you have to constantly improve so then talking about like high performing in other pursuits like you're doing quite uh, a taxing job in terms of like the hours necessary and you have to give a lot to it in terms of you you do veterinary work so like how do you manage that around your training schedule like do you have to get up at crazy hours in the morning to get your training in beforehand and then post work you're going straight out to train again and then like what about when you're on call like what do you do then so basically i have the soundest boss in the world so i'm after <laughs> that myself a really really nice job where uh, i don't start till half 10 so i get all my big sessions done in the morning and head off to work then for the day and i finish up at about maybe six half six um most days obviously that you know if an emergency came in obviously that'd be in a bit longer um monday to friday and then it's only really the very odd emergency call i'd be called in for like emergency surgery or that um like i'm talking very rare like because my boss say lives right beside the practice so if it's just a normal kind of a thing that he doesn't need a hand with like he'd do it himself which is just so nice and like obviously it's totally unnecessary but just be, just being so sound um but then if obviously if he needs a hand with the surgery or that like I'd, I'd come in um and we'd know we'd work away but um basically I just can do it because my boss is so sound to me and everyone, well, everyone who works there is so sound to me and it just the job that I have just allows me to train like I do because obviously if I was up in the middle of the night I just I, I couldn't do it like and I do I do small animal mostly so I'm like 95% maybe small animal which is like you know your cats and dogs and, and small little fluffy things um but uh, I, I'd always kind of planned on being a mixed animal vet so doing your cows and sheep and that as well but um obviously if I was a mixed animal vet I would be out in the middle of the night and I would be you know not sleeping especially spring and stuff and that just won't mix with, with rowing so I had to kind of decide to if I was going to be a vet for the ne- even just for the next few years that I was going to have to pick the one that obviously allows me to be both so that's kind of why I'm doing mostly smalls now so that's that's how I manage it yeah leading up to the competitive season and you're in cabin season then so like you're you're up in the middle of the night you're not getting any sleep for months before your competition the training session yeah facts facts you don't need we just said though you don't need any more pulling you need a little bit more push um yeah like I I just find it fascinating but that's that makes sense now that like it's great that you kind of fell on your feet with that role I suppose because you get do you get a couple of sessions in then before you go to work? Yeah, so like I can do a double session in the morning there if I wanted, you know, there'd be some mornings there, like if I was, if I, I could get up, do my erg session, go there to have like a little snack or whatever and a protein shake and then do a weight session. And like I could have all that done easily by, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning and head off then to work. Um, so it is, it's, it's perfect. Like it's great. It, it allows me to like, I, for a while there, I was just training and I was, I was obviously I was, I had a higher training load, like in terms of I was training twice a day, every day, um, sometimes three times a day, but like I was kind of mentally not like a hundred percent happy. I felt like I wasn't really, you know, being stimulated enough. Yeah. Whereas now like I'm so busy, I don't, I hardly have time to think, but it does suit me better. Like I'm happier and kind of, yeah, like I, I like that I'm have both going on and I'm, a, I'm able to juggle both. So even though my training load has probably decreased, I suppose the quality has probably increased of the training. Um, and I'm much more efficient with my time, which is good too. Because otherwise I'd have been sitting around here, maybe watching Netflix for an hour and then I'm like, oh, maybe I'll do my session now and then do your session. And I'm like, maybe I'll make a really fancy sandwich now for lunch and just, you know, waste some time. Like, whereas now I'm in, out, get the job done, off to work, you know, 
So mm. it's it's and it suits me much better, like in terms of mental space as well. That I'm, I'm much more stimulated having a, a job as well as training. So, and you need so, you need some other pursuit, obviously, away from the actual sport, which is something people don't realize either. Like maybe in amateur sport, it's their hobby. Um, it is you like you enjoy it as you said like and it is a hobby even if you're doing like you're taking it very 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 seriously um, way more seriously than an amateur athlete or a semi-professional would but like at the same time you need other pursuits to kind of think about other things and and to stimulate your mind in other ways as you said and sitting there watching Netflix is not another pursuit unfortunately it's not (laughs) sufficient so you need kind of a little bit of balance I suppose even though it's very hard to get balance and yeah, like the hours are obviously pretty crazy of training, working, which is why it was hard to kind of arrange the podcast, but we got it over the line. But then like in, in the evenings, then are you on the water in the evenings then typically after work? So typically if I was on the water, it would be in the morning as well. Okay. Um, and then if I was, say if I was doing um, an erg session, like that obviously doesn't take up as much time. So I could get a work, maybe an erg session and a weight session done. Um, but then midweek, some, there'd be one, maybe two days midweek, I might come home and do just a small weight session, like it would be, you know, 45 minutes, just, you know, your main, like, like, the, you know, I think you were saying earlier, you know, you could spend two hours doing a weight session, really, but if you're like, I find anyway, I could, I could get my main session done in 45 minutes, I know it's probably rushing it, but, you know, I get, I get a lot done in that time, and then I'd be on the couch like a corpse then for the rest of the evening. <laughs> that's what I was thinking like after a day in working in the vets and then going facing weights I'm sure it's tough but like that like that is something that happens quite typically is that like the session that you could do you know you could do it in 45 minutes if you are kind of thinking about something else or doing something else um while you're doing the weight session it'll take you two hours like it can to get through the same amount of work that you would do in 45 minutes if you just focused in which is the tough part of having a gym in the house because like you could be doing a session and you could think like oh geez I didn't do me washing yet I'll go and throw that into the washing machine and then before you know it like you've been at it you're doing yeah in between sets like um so you kind of have to put limits on yourself to be like no this is what I'm doing now I'm focused on this and I'm just going to get it done and and then get it done I suppose but we haven't even actually talked about spina bifida at all and that that's obviously what you've dealt with with your whole your whole life like you've had I've read somewhere you've had over 20 surgeries so like that's pretty insane like to think about but like you're walking no problem um and most people that have spina bifida they're confined to a wheelchair like so talk to me about your journey with that like your own personal journey with it yeah, so like obviously massively lucky, like majority of people with spine bifida are, are in chairs and I'm flying around like now I, I, have, I have a funny old walk, but um, I, I'll take that like it's it's grand. Um, I wear a splint as well, which helps me a bit, um, but no, massively, massively lucky to be able to obviously get around without a chair. And yeah, so I've had spine bifida obviously since I was born. Um, I spent a lot of time in hospital as maybe a younger, a younger girl. And then again, when I was like maybe second, maybe second and third year of college, just in and out with different things. And like I said, a few surgeries here and there. Um, but like all in all, you know, like when you're faced with them kind of things, you don't even really notice it. Like you just kind of accept them and you go ahead and get it all done and you, you, you move on. Like it's kind of my norm. So it doesn't really feel any, you know, it's not really taxing or anything like that, you know. Um, I'd probably look back at a lot of other things 
uh, less fondly, then I would look back at all of that. Like it just it doesn't it hasn't really taxed me much, I suppose. I, and I'm lucky in that way that I don't really look back at it, you know, in a bad way. I don't. I, it's it's just kind of it was part of how how I grew up and part of my life and part of me. And um, not that I'm glad I have it, but it definitely is a huge part of who I am. And so yeah, like it's again, it's just yeah, what what I, what I it's yeah. what I know. It's my norm, and it just you know it's it's. It, it hasn't it hasn't anyway affected my life really at all like in what I want to achieve and all of that so um yeah no it's it's it's, it's sound <laughs> yeah we've only met one one time in person like and you're obviously saying that you have a funny walk and you're probably more conscious of it than other people but I wouldn't have even noticed it now to be honest and yeah maybe I had a funny walk because I was after a few <laughs> bites of Guinness but we yeah. will we won't we won't go into that <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but like I would imagine may not have been able. <laughs> I would I would imagine that like going through that kind of adversity and going through that kind of experience would help your mindset in a way and as you said it is part of who you are and I've heard a strength and conditioning coach before he doesn't call um, para-athletes para-athletes he calls them relentless athletes uh, because that's the mindset you need to have and like I'm sure people will kind of get from this conversation that that's kind of way you are too so like I'm sure like going through that has helped you to develop the kind of relentless mindset that you have and made you who you are today like yeah I, I suppose so and like Joe, it's kind of like I, I don't even really like it's not like I, <laughs> I wake up in the morning like right today I'm gonna be relentless <laughs> yeah 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 it's just the way you are though like it's just yeah it's just the way I, I and I am and I suppose when you don't have a choice like I sure if, if I sat down and was like right no do you know what I you know I'm not not feeling this now today sure you'd like you'd be in a bad way so it's just kind of yeah I had no choice really to just get on with it and just accept it and move on and that was it and so I suppose that maybe that is why but I don't know like I suppose athletes as a whole though like I don't know if para athletes are more relentless than your average able-bodied athletes you know I feel like they're probably on par um obviously para athletes have probably at some stage had to deal with yeah some bit of adversity but the likelihood is that your average able-bodied athlete has also had to deal with some mm. major adversity in their life as well um and which probably makes them a better athlete too so I don't know but it's a huge amount to do with um just being like a you know having a disability or that I think I think any type of adversity really in your life can I suppose builds strength of strength of character and stuff yeah. um so yeah no I do I suppose para athletes are relentless but I think majority of athletes are relentless and uh, probably does have a they probably had some possibly had had some adversity in their life as well so um probably like allows them to be um stronger in everything that they do um in doing sport basically what you're saying is everybody's got their own shit um yeah. <laughs> stronger but uh yeah basically <laughs> yeah but I, I read that an interview with your mom and she said that when you were younger she used she just used to leave you go out and fall and pick yourself up and you deal with it so that obviously that kind of mindset because you could have been mollycoddled now you probably were I suppose as as Irish mammies usually do but you could have been mollycoddled even more so like so that obviously helped that kind of um, parenting that was like no she she needs to she needs to learn to deal with it herself and and pick herself up off the floor yeah, when she falls like 
you, when people used to try and help me, I, it used to frustrate me so much. Like I could, I can remember so well as a child, like if people were like, don't run, I'd be like, make me slow cross and I'd take off. I would fucking take off. <laughs> or like if someone's trying to help me do like, I don't know, like put on my splint or something as a child, like those kind of things would frustrate me even more and make me want to do it even more myself. So actually people trying to help you or trying to molly coddle me would actually frustrate me so much that I would want to be even more independent. So um, even even though my mom obviously and my dad were very much like off you go, like, you know, you do it yourself and we won't molly coddle her. I think anyone who did try to molly coddle me, which did, did happen throughout my life would, would make me go even further the other way and be more, even more independent and so so like bull thick that I'd like just wanted to, I would manage to do it myself then um so yeah I think like I, I suppose just yeah like that's that was just the mindset that I had as a child I remember so well being so frustrated like by people trying to help me too much and maybe it was because I was so used to being allowed to do everything myself at home and allowed like no one minded me at home that when people did try and mind me I'd be like what is going on here like you know I suppose that's maybe what was going on there but yeah mom was mom was good for letting me fall over and not come and help me up <laughs> <laughs> great Mally. um yeah. but yeah so obviously your parents have helped you immensely and your family to get to where you are today but basically what you're saying is anybody that molly coddled or tried to molly coddle uh katie throughout her life you are the reason that she is where she is today so yeah. fair play to you. um but anyway we'll move on to some quick fire questions then to finish up uh the first one is proudest achievement to date um probably my medal at the world's uh 2019 it was just kind of a nice affirmation i suppose of the work i'd put in yeah and there's another one coming next year <laughs> favorite athlete of all time this is a difficult one i kind of have two so katie taylor obviously um always has been massive i watching her at london 2012 i was like unreal like i just loved her so much um and then sunita prespere in, in my own sport um absolute legend in every aspect like as a person um and as an athlete i've never seen someone train harder and just a total and utter machine um, and legend in all in all aspects so yeah Sunita as well who's playing you <laughs> in the movie um okay they're gonna have to be ginger so i kind of whittles them down <laughs> so um i don't know maybe I, i'm gonna go Lindsay lohan but maybe pre <laughs> pre-breakdown pre <laughs> pre-breakdown uh, yeah pre-breakdown Lindsay or else I can't remember the actor's name actually she's in Riverdale she's ginger as well I don't know what her name is but, uh, hair dye is a thing though like you can pick anyone realistically <laughs> like and it's we're actually not putting it into production Katie so <laughs> um, authentic it has to be authentic yeah fair enough fair enough she'd have to come and live in, in the bridge for six months yeah. get the accent down and then go and play in the movie. Um, what meal or food are you loving at the moment? Or um, what's your what's the go-to dessert as well? Because I hear I heard through the grapevine that you make a good pavlova. <laughs> I do love a good pavlova. <laughs> um, but I actually food-wise, anything Mexican, burrito, burrito bowl, you know, that kind of I love it. Any stage is always my favorite. Um, and then dessert-wise. Uh, either a pavlova or something with chocolate just anything chocolate warm chocolate on it love it <laughs> I, had a boo I had a boozham last night and uh, 
I bought it and I was like, that's grand now. I'll walk home and I'll eat this home. <laughs> and I, did, I was so excited for it. I was like, no, I'm going over there and I'm going to sit in this, that bench over there and I'm going to eat it. I just, <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't wait. Like, it's just next levels. Um, Isn't it? Yeah. Oh, and like that, that's not authentic kind of Mexican food. It's essentially Tex-Mex. And an interesting thing to go off in a bit of a tangent was that you did some charity work in Nicaragua, I saw. And I saw like a load of flags after it. And I saw the Honduran flag. And I actually did charity work in Honduras. And nobody knows where Honduras is like. Um, when I say it, I was like, what is that? Like, what's a Honduras? Somebody said to me before. <laughs> so like it's also like one of the murder capitals of the world oh yeah so i was wondering yeah. like when you went out there where did you go did you just go to Tegucigalpa, like where all the murders are or did you go into the wilderness no so we actually we actually just went through it so we were like we took out one of those like overnight buses and we drove through el salvador and honduras um actually we were stopped in uh, honduras uh our bus was emptied we were all lined up against the wall all like guns uh they took our passports uh, it was pretty crazy. Like, so ended up anyway. We just paid them money and they let us go. Yeah. So it was fun. But yeah, that was my experience in Honduras. So I don't know how you got on while you were there. Nah, I was pretty sound, to be fair. We had that's why I was going to ask because we had an escort the whole way around, like policemen and okay. army and security. Like and like there was one night we were coming home particularly late and it was getting dark. And when they see you, like they see white skin, they're like gringo, gringo. And they're looking for yeah. money off you and they're just all coming up. So like, but luckily enough, the lads with guns kind of were on our side, essentially. So they'd already been paid. So they were warning okay. off them. Um, no, nah, they were great guys, to be fair. But yeah, so like was Nicaragua a lot safer than that? Definitely, I don't know a lot, but definitely at the time it was a good bit safer. I know now there's massive unrest there, but um, at the time, like you we would never have gone anywhere without being in a group and without having a tall male with us who like looked like they could, you know, help the yeah. situation. But um, like that, we'd be hissed at and gringo, gringo and all yeah. that, like, you know, go down the streets. But um, I don't think it was half as dangerous as Honduras and El Salvador. You know, they were yeah. kind of, there was definitely other tourists there and there was tourist spots to go and visit, like, and whereas I feel Honduras and El Salvador, there's very little spots to be going to, you know. Yeah, like um, a lot of them would have some English, I suppose, and uh, they would like gringo, gringo. So I used to just go, "How are you, lads?" And yeah. I said, "No, then they're like, they're not from America anyway, because <laughs> that's not yeah. English." Um, but uh, that can, look, I'm still here today, so it must it must work. So anybody that's going to Central America, just give them a good "How are you, lads?" and and they'll let you on. Artists you've been listening to a lot recently. Um, I was trying to think of someone cool to say this, um, but I can't think of anyone because I just listen to really bad music. So Olivia Rodriguez is probably like up there in my top charts at the moment. In fairness, they're bangers. Like, she's yeah, they're all bangers. Like um, Foster <laughs> Horan was on, who's on the Irish Sevens, and he, he, he was given same thing but like I think with her songs like uh you just can't help but sing along to them a little bit now I wouldn't have them in the Spotify but when they come on like you have to have a little bit of a bop to them so uh you're not selling yourself short there don't worry um you're not yeah you're not you're not the first person to say that like they're built in they're made in a lab I suppose so they're meant to get you moving so um they do the job have you been reading any books lately 
yeah, no, I really need to get better at that. I don't read. And I've never had, I was passing English all the way. I'm kind of illiterate. <laughs> I was going to take out that question, but I'm going to leave in that goal now. I'm kind of illiterate. Um, it's a good thing you work with your hands then, I suppose, in a practical kind of job because you yeah, don't have totally to do as yeah, much. Yeah. Like um, my, my spellings when I'm writing notes are horrific. Like, I don't know how anyone knows what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, what's the biggest thing you've learned in the last 12 months? It's a tough one. Um, um, maybe patience, I suppose, just working hard and not expecting much in return, just to keep going and yeah. I suppose because it's like like I said, two years without a race and training every day uh, is it teaches you to be patient, I suppose. That's good. Yeah. Little good lesson. Learner. Yeah. And then what would you tell your 18-year-old self? Um keep having fun because you're only young. 100 percent College, I, that, that year is just the best year of your life and I had so much crack and I don't regret a second. <laughs> Before you knock everything over, we'll leave it on that one. Thanks a million, Katie. Brilliant. Um, thanks for coming on, that was great. Yeah, thanks for having me, Peter. It was great and uh, lovely to chat again. <laughs>